In 2016, the Bar of Ireland held a series of lectures celebrating the role of barristers and the courts at key junctures in the history of our state. The lectures included an examination of pivotal trials and some important legal personalities that figured in Ireland's struggle for independence. Under the guidance of the then Bar Council Chair, now Mr Justice David Barneval of the High Court, a range of legal luminaries presented at Green Street Courthouse near Smithfield Market here in Dublin 7. Today, we are delighted to bring these informative and engaging lectures to you in a different format and for a wider audience. In this episode, the trial of Roger Casement, delivered by Mr Michael McDowell, Senior Counsel, David Barnable introduces. Good evening, everybody. I want to um, welcome you again this week to Green Street Courthouse. This week, of course, we're uh, hearing a lecture from the newly elected Senator Michael McDool, our colleague on the trial and appeal of Roger Casement. Um, we're going to hear not only about the uh, arrest, trial and appeal of Roger Casement, but a whole lot more besides um, from Michael. The appeal, as we all know, is wonderfully captured in the painting by Sir John Lavery, High Treason, normally on display in the King's Inns, but now uh, on display in a, an exhibition in the Hugh Lane Gallery. Um, I want to thank Michael particularly for agreeing to deliver this lecture. I know he has a lot uh, on his plate at the moment and uh, we're extremely grateful to him for doing so. I want to thank a few more people. Um, Shane Murphy, whose brainchild uh, this lecture series has been and who has done, I think, all, if not almost all, uh, of the work in putting it together. I, I'm, I think on your behalf, I, I want to convey my thanks to Shane for the incredible work that he has put in uh, to this lecture series. I also um, want to thank the Chief Justice, uh, who's the Chair of the Court Service and the Court Service itself for allowing us to use uh, this incredible venue for, for, for the uh, series. And finally, I want to thank uh, the members of the staff of the uh, Bar of Ireland for the great work which they have put in in organising it also. So without saying anything more, I, I would like you please to welcome uh, Michael McDool to deliver the lecture this week. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, colleagues, Chairman of the Bar Council, colleagues and friends. It's a great honour to be invited here today to participate in this uh, lecture series. And um, I want to echo the words of gratitude which uh, the chairman has just spoken to those who have organized this, particularly to Shane Murphy, who's been uh, minding me like a sheepdog over the last while to make sure that I didn't stand you all up, I think. Uh, I also want to thank, at the outset, um, Jim O'Callaghan, as he then was, Deputy Jim O'Callaghan, for uh, lending me uh, a lot of papers which he has collected in relation to the um, casement trial. And I want to thank Sean Aylward of King's Inns um, for uh, giving me access to a number of, uh, of interesting documents to which I will return later. Um, there are few figures, I think, in Irish history that excite and command as much debate and controversy as Roger Casement. He remains at the centre of public discourse largely because he embodied in one life so many different and seemingly contradictory personalities. We have in this one man many and varied characters. Casement, the international humanitarian. Casement, the British Empire diplomat. Casement, 
the avowed enemy of the British Empire, casement the king's grateful knight, casement the Hohenzollern pawn, casement born of landed gentry, casement the Irish revolutionary, casement the Edwardian liberal's moral hero, casement the lowlife homosexual, as was claimed, casement the victim of dirty tricks, casement the creator of his own myth, casement the victim of crown injustice, and casement the Irish martyr. Now his trial and his appeal on charges of high treason at the height of the Great War were clearly thought at the time to be a very major event, meriting depiction in Lavery's great canvas to which the chairman has made reference, which was commissioned by um, Lord Justice Darling, and the uh, immediate publication in book form following his trial of a comprehensive account of both the trial and the uh, appeal, which was obsequiously dedicated to the presiding judges at the trial and appeal. It was illustrated and out within a year. Casement's trial and execution did not bring, however, its intended end to his standing as an historical figure. Far from bringing down the curtain of history on his life, as was intended, the hangman's lever launched Roger Casement into more than one kind of immortality. He instantly became the unquenchable object of passionate inquiry, speculation, disputation, and debate. Far from being an ignominious place of punishment for treachery, the gallows at Pentonville uh, prison became a stage on which the character of Roger Casement, I think, still treads the boards with uh, all the dramatic uh, fascination of Hamlet, and I think he will always do so. Like Hamlet, we also have Casement, the tortured soul. His paper shown him, shown to have been by turns idealistic, vainglorious, sensitive, naively optimistic, and frequently despondent. His friends and acquaintances admired him almost to the point of idolizing him. Um, but few, if any, could see into the secret, darker, and more private world of Roger Casement. If he ever was on intimate terms with anyone other than himself, we have no record of it. His poetry, uh, perhaps, is the one window into his inner nature and his self-image. In the end, each of us is left at liberty to imagine and to even to judge his real character as we choose. Now, to understand the context in which the trial of Roger Casement took place, it's necessary to briefly describe his upbringing and career up to 1914. Casement was born into the family of an impoverished Anglo-Irish ex-officer living in Sandy Cove in County Dublin. He was educated after his father's death on the fringes of the families uh, of, uh, of wealthier relatives who lived in County Antrim. Leaving school at 16 to work as a clerk in a shipping company, he eventually was employed by the African International Association, which sounds very highfalutin, but it was the front whereby King Leopold of the Belgians uh, administered the Congo Basin, not as a colony of Belgium, but as a um, personal fiefdom um, uh, and exploited the natural resources of it in a cruel manner. He um, worked in the British consular service and, and prepared a report on conditions in the Congo. 
and they were frightening, to put it mildly. Rubber merchants regularly um, cut off the limbs of uh, workers who didn't um, uh, fulfill quotas, whipped uh, and, and imprisoned them, and uh, raped their women. Um, later, uh, he uh, went to, he, 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 commissioned, he was commissioned by the British uh, Foreign Office to prepare a report on conditions in the Congo, which he did, and which brought about the ending of Leopold's personal fiefdom and the taking over of the Congo as a colony of the Belgian state. Then he went to South America, where yet again he uh, wrote a, a report into appalling human rights abuses, this time by a British registered company owned by South American interests, uh, and, the way, uh, and in particular, the way in which they treated uh, Putumayo Indians in the Amazon basin. The Liberal government in England, in a, a rictus of conscience about its own imperialism, fated and decorated Casement uh, for uh, his work on these reports, and they made him a knight in, in 1911. Casement, however, in the meantime, had fallen totally out of love with the concept of the British Empire. He joined the Gaelic League in 1904 and Arthur Griffith's Sinn Féin in 1905, and his youthful romantic view of Ireland was being transformed into a strong commitment to the cause of self-government in Ireland. In 1913, having um, just retired from the consular service, he became involved with Owen MacNeill and others in the establishment of the Irish Volunteers, and though neither of them were uh, uh, members of the IRB, he played a major role in organizing the uh, IRB, uh, the Irish Volunteers rather, and the Hoth gun running. And in July of 1914, he went to America to raise money for the cause. Taking the view that the um, Great War, which commenced uh, at the end of July and the beginning of August of, of that year, was a most unjust attack on the German Empire by a, an avaricious Britain, which wanted to retain control of the uh, seaways. Um, he traveled at the request of John Devoy, the American Fenian, to, uh, from America, firstly to Christiana, the then capital of Norway, which was a recently independent kingdom itself, uh, and from there to uh, Germany to obtain the Kaiser's support for the cause of Irish independence. Now, by this stage, Casement was under very close surveillance by the British Secret Services while he was in America. And it's an irony that at one point he was being followed by two sets of detectives, because the IRB were a bit suspicious of him too. They thought he might be a British pawn. And poor old Casement was trading around New York, followed by two sets of spies reporting back. Uh, and he passed the IRB test. Uh, he, he didn't uh, show any signs of treachery towards the British. And the uh, British nonetheless kept him under very close uh, observation. Prior to his departure from America, Casement had written a formal letter to the Kaiser, the German emperor, um, seeking the, uh, Germany's support for Irish freedom. I set out in my paper the text of that um, uh, uh, letter, and I won't uh, waste your time by reading uh, too much of it, but uh, it hopes for a German victory, and hopes that one of the consequences of a German victory will be a new European peace where 
um, this, the waterways and seas and oceans of the world will be liberated from British dominance. And for that purpose, the case is made to the Kaiser that uh, Ireland should be made free and should be independent from Britain uh, so as to symbolize the fact that Britain no longer um, had control of the North Atlantic. Now, there's one particular incident in late 1914, which is of significance to the later trial of, uh, of Roger Casement. On his way to Germany, uh, pursuing German assistance for the volunteers, he traveled under a false name in the company uh, of his manservant and occasional sexual partner, one Adler Christensen, a 24-year-old man from Norway. Christensen was a manipulative character and he either contacted or was contacted by the British legation in Christiana. And his loyalties seem still to be unclear, and they were probably mixed, and his loyalties were possibly for sale. But he was offered by the um, British minister in uh, Christiana, a man with the exotic name of Mansfeld de Cardinal Finlay. Um, he was offered 5,000 pounds in sterling, if he could arrange that casement would be knocked on the head, the phrase used by the, by the, by the minister. Um, now, Findlay at the time noted from his interviews that, that uh, casement was engaged in a homosexual relationship with Christensen and with other people in Norway, and he passed this information on to the Foreign Office in late 1914. Now, the plot to kill him became an obsession with the casement. He called it the Findlay Affair. And fearing for his life in Norway, he arranged that he would be escorted by German heavies to the train for um, uh, Copenhagen and that he would have a German escort the whole way to Germany. Once in Germany, he contacted the Foreign Office on the Wilhelmstrasse and uh, he um, there sought two things. He sought German support for Irish independence and secondly, he uh, sought to interest them in the concept of his recruiting from Irish prisoners an Irish brigade, the purpose of which I'll come back to later. Um, he also sought, while in Germany, to persuade the German Secret Service to bait a trap for the, uh, um, for the uh, British in Norway um, to provide evidence of the, of the plan uh, to kill him. And the reason that he did that was that he was concerned that his name was now being mentioned in the House of Lords as a traitor, and he wanted to be in a position to have ammunition to throw back at them, um, to uh, emphasize that uh, uh, treachery was more than a one-way street on this occasion, that they were uh, using a neutral country to try and kill him, and he wanted to get documentary evidence of that. Um, now, as a, arising out of that, he wrote an open letter to Sir Edward Grey, the English Foreign Secretary. And um, the letter is interesting from two points of view. It's a letter which, uh, in a number of ways, would have been extremely embarrassing when the trial commenced. Because in the course of that letter, having outlined precisely how the British intelligence had tried to bump him off in Oslo. Uh, he ends the letter by saying, to that government, and that's the British government, 
Through you, sir, I now beg to return the insignia of the most distinguished order of St. Michael and St. George, the coronation medal of, king, uh, of His Majesty King George V, and any other medal, honor, or distinction conferred upon me by His Majesty's government, of which it is possible for me to divest myself. I am your obedient servant, Roger Casement. And this letter he circulated to all the embassies in Berlin that he thought would be interested in having it, setting out the infamy and the perfidy, he said, of the British intelligence services, and also uh, um, renouncing his knighthood in terms to the foreign secretary. Now, the other thing that his letter makes clear is that, in fact, he was engaging in what would later be described as treason, because he emphasizes what he was doing in Germany in relation to an Irish brigade. And um, we'll come back to um, the implications of that. But the, interest, the, 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 the point about that letter is this, that having written it to uh, the Foreign Secretary um, in uh, early uh, 1915, um, he never made any mention of it at his trial and never instructed his counsel to rely on it. And that is particularly uh, important in the context, as we shall see later, that um, F.E. Smith, the attorney general who, who led the prosecution against him, spent a very considerable period of time uh, uh, with the jury, uh, driving home the point that this man was a knight of, uh, of the crown, and most importantly, that he had written the most obsequious letter of gratitude when he was originally made a knight. And this, of course, was used for great dramatic uh, um, purposes with the jury at the time that the, uh, the, that the, the case was open to them, uh, and also uh, was used in closing the case and in um, mustering support against any reprieve for casement. If it had emerged, obviously, in the course of the trial, that he had actually handed back his knighthood from Germany, um, a slightly different view might have ta uh, been taken of him. And likewise, if it had emerged that uh, this knight of the realm had been the subject of an attempted murder plot in, in, in Norway, uh, there would have been a considerable public sympathy for him. But for some strange reason, none of that uh, comes into the public domain at his trial. And the reason most probably is this, that, he, um, that uh, in other parts of the letter, and I've brought a, a number which will be outside later for those of you who are interested, in other parts of the letter, he clearly admits to behavior which is treasonable, and therefore the letter was double-edged as far as his uh, uh, position was concerned. Now, the next thing that I want to say to you is that we're particularly fortunate in respect of Casement that during his period in Germany, he decided to keep yet another diary, uh, for, um, which was for a substantial periods of his time, uh, noting down his thoughts on what he was doing. And he entrusted his papers in Germany, uh, including this German diary, to a third party, Dr. Charles Curry, for safekeeping immediately before his departure by U-boat to Ireland in April 1916. The diary was clearly written with an eye to posterity. Uh, we see Casement as a rather excitable and volatile character coping with illness, frustrations dealing with the German bureaucracy, and a growing realization that the Kaiser's government was dealing with the Irish separatist project simply as a diversionary nuisance rather than as a rebellion to which German political commitment 
to bring about an independent Ireland would be given. Casement describes his first meeting with the German Foreign Office at the Wilhelmstrasse in Berlin on the 2nd of November 1914 as he waited to meet the Under Secretary of State, Arthur Zimmermann. He reflected on his mission and records the following in his diary. Strange thoughts were mine as I sat on a big sofa in the center of policy of the German Empire. No regrets, no fears. Well, yes, some regrets, but no fears. I thought of Ireland, the land I should almost fatally never see again. Only a miracle of victory could bring me to her shores. That I did not expect, cannot in truth hope for. But victory or defeat, it is all for Ireland, and she cannot suffer from what I do. I may, I must suffer, and even those near me and dear to me, but uh, my country can only gain from my treason. Now, if that diary had been produced, Effie Smith would have had a field day with the jury. Home rule, he said, must indeed become home rule, and even if all my hopes are doomed to rank, uh, uh, to rank failure abroad, at least I shall have given more to Ireland by one bold deed of open treason than Redmond and co after years of talk and spouting treason have gained from England. England doesn't mind the, quote, treason, unquote, of the orthodox patriot. She took the true measure of that long ago. She only fears the Irishman who acts, not him who talks. She recognizes only action and respects only deeds. Those men have killed England with their mouths time and time again. I am not going to hit her. I am going to hit her with my clenched fist. It is a blow of sincere enmity, based on a wholly impersonal disregard of consequences for myself, sure alone uh, that it is in truth a blow for Ireland. I should be a traitor did I not act as I am doing. So that day, that first day in the German Foreign Office, Casement admitted that as far as United Kingdom law was concerned, his was a mission of treason and that he intended it to be so, and that he knew that its consequences could be uh, fatal to himself. And there's no doubt uh, that um, uh, in the circumstances, Casement um, uh, was somebody who was alert to what was likely to happen to him if he ever fell into British hands. It's equally uh, evident from his German diaries that he completely outruled the possibility of a German invasion of Ireland. He knew that that was not going to happen, and he knew that the best he could really hope for from Germany was that they would conclude a peace with Britain, having defeated the French and the Russians, and uh, that uh, as part of that peace, uh, they would extract from the British uh, a, 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 an independent status for Ireland. Now, Casement also pointed out to Zimmerman that any Irish man might commit treason against England for the sake of Ireland, but that he would not do anything mean or treacherous. And he's now, bearing, he's now referring to the prisoners of war who he's hoping to recruit. He would put his neck in the noose as I had done for the love of Ireland. He would not desert to any enemy or forsake his own colors merely to, assa to assail England. And as things went by, and Casement comes to uh, St. Patrick's Day in, 19, in 1916, he uh, again, having dropped keeping his diary due to depression, I think, resumed his diary. And speaking about his 
thoughts uh, one year previously in, um, on St. Patrick's Day, two, uh, sorry, 1916, he said, even then had, uh, hope had gone from me, for I realized then already that those who I trusted here were little to be trusted and that their only interest in me, in me lay in exploiting me and the Irish cause in their own supposed interests. Since then, a thousand proofs have accumulated, and yesterday the climax came. And as now, but little is, is left, I begin today a hurried record of things that must be stated in order that someday the truth may be known. And he, before he left uh, for Ireland in the U-boat, he gave directions for all his papers to be wrapped up in uh, waterproof material and, and, and carefully preserved. In three weeks' time, I shall probably be at sea in the maddest and most ill-planned enterprise that the history of Irish uh, revolutionary efforts offers. But it's not of my own choosing, of my planning, or undertaken with my approval. I go because honor calls me to go, and because to stop it now, even if I could stop it, would involve others and perhaps bring greater grief. Moreover, by going with a tiny band, 12 men probably, that is to sail on the 8th of April, I may save them, and perhaps Ireland too, from a dreadful fate. To stay here in safety while those others would go would do no good to Ireland and would leave me a prey to eternal regret. Thus, while I strongly disapprove of what is being attempted, and so wretchedly attempted, with a foregone assurance of failure, I must lend it my countenance and accompany the forlorn hope. Now, that is the state of mind of Casement roughly a month before he set sail for Ireland. But um, on the last day that he kept his diary and handed it over to um, uh, Dr. Curry, he said, my last day in Berlin, thank God. Tomorrow, my last day in Germany, again, thank God. An English jail or scaffold would be better than to dwell with these people longer. All deception, all self-interest, all on the make. So it was in that frame of mind, and it was a deeply self-pitying frame of mind, that uh, Casement boarded the U-boat to come, uh, uh, which would eventually deposit him at Banner Strand. And I think you should know as well that he was deeply disillusioned with the Germans for other reasons too. They had promised him 200,000 rifles. In the end, they gave him 20,000 captured Russian rifles of inferior design, uh, which were placed on the Aude and uh, which were to be brought into Ireland. And throughout his dealings with the Germans, he kept on in, um, querying how they thought the operation would succeed. And the Germans said constantly, no rising, no guns. And he came to the view that the Germans were playing him along. They wanted a diversion in Ireland. They wanted to go through the motions of sending weapons to support it, but they weren't really interested in the success of the Fenian project uh, being orchestrated by the IRB men in Dublin and John Devoy and others in America. Now, I put all of that in context so that you should know the background to, um, to what happens uh, to Casement as he wades ashore at Bannerstrand. Here was no fiery revolutionary. Here was no firebrand uh, being the, uh, the vanguard of a mass importation of German weaponry into Ireland hoping to uh, ignite a revolution. His one aim as he got off the boat, very sick, and waded ashore from a, from a capsized dinghy 
at Bannerstrand was to contact Owen McNeil, my grandfather, and to uh, tell him that they must at all costs call off the rising, that it was doomed to failure and would be a disaster. And he, he was afforded a, 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 a short interview with a priest while in custody in Kerry, and he, got, he attempted to get that message through. But he was whisked by British intelligence uh, to Dublin under a false name, and there to the tar from there to the Tower of London and uh, uh, for interrogation in, in, in London. And it's curious, and I think it's um, uh, well worth uh, understanding, again, to see where the treachery lied and where the treason lay, um, that when he was brought to London, the first thing he asked to do, being interviewed by uh, uh, intelligence officers, was um, uh, to uh, be allowed to, um, to communicate with MacNeil, and this was on Easter Sunday, and to call off the rising. And he repeated that uh, request over three interviews, and the intelligence officers dealing with them uh, refused to do so, and commented that, uh, about uh, the coming rising that it was a festering sore, and it's much better that it should come to a head. Now, and, and another interesting point about uh, one of the people who, who interrogated him was a major Frank Hull, who had previously been a central figure in the establishment of a provisional government in Ulster, the arming of the UVF, and the organization of the Curra Mutiny um, uh, in support of, of, of the unionist cause. And the other point that one has to bear in mind is that these intelligence officers had already decrypted German messages from Washington to, um, uh, to Berlin, identifying the uh, Easter Sunday as the date of the intended rising, based on information they had from Devoy in, 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 uh, in, 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 in New York. And uh, the curious thing is that they never alerted the civil administration, either in London, the liberal uh, uh, element of the civil administration there, in London or in Dublin, Dublin Castle, to this impending threat. And when Casement was pleading with them uh, to be allowed uh, intercede to call off the rising and to contact MacNeil for that purpose, their attitude was uh, to um, let, let it go ahead. And it is, uh, I think, an irony that they, these political spies were watching a burning fuse that would, within five years, bring an end to the United Kingdom and perhaps light a bigger fire, which would eventually end the empire. But they thought that their uh, view of the national interest allowed them uh, to uh, allow the uh, rising to proceed. Now, when it comes to the trial of casement itself, um, having been brought to, to, to England, um, uh, a, a decision was made that he would be tried um, uh, by jury for high treason. And um, if any of you are minded to do further researches on Casement's trial, can I recommend firstly a book by a former uh, Unionist MP called Montgomery Hyde on Casement's trial. It's a penguin book. It's still uh, floating around Dublin in many second-hand bookshops, which is an excellent uh, account of the trial. Uh, Montgomery Hyde, although a unionist himself, um, lost his seat in Belfast when he advocated um, 
acceptance of the Wolfenden Commission on Homosexual Law Reform uh, and uh, his constituency association disowned him. There are also papers by Frank Kalman uh, uh, entitled Between Treason and Blood Sacrifice, the Trials of Roger Casement, Connor Geerty, the Casement tri uh, Trial in its Legal Context, and Owen Dudley Edwards, the Trial of Roger Casement, a Study in Theatre Management. And all of those papers are collected together in a, a Royal um, Irish Academy um, uh, um, volume, which was published in 2005, uh, called Roger Casement in Irish and World History. Now, those um, sources, and indeed the contemporary account written by a, a barrister called George Knott, and uh, as I said, obsequiously um, uh, dedicated to the presiding judges at the trial and at the appeal, give us an absolutely verbatim account of everything that happened in court in relation to Roger Casement. And in those days, um, there was something medieval about a trial for high treason. Um, it required uh, more than one judge, and uh, on this occasion there were three. Um, the uh, charge was read out by the king's coroner on the first day of the uh, trial, and um, it, it alleged uh, high treason by adhering to the king's enemies elsewhere than in the king's realm, to wit, in the uh, Empire of Germany, contrary to the Treason Act 1351, 25th uh, uh, chapter of Edward III, Statute 5, Chapter 2. So uh, it was alleged against Casement that on, between the 1st of December 1914 and the 21st of April 1916, being then a British subject and whilst on several days an open and a public war was being prosecuted and carried on by the German Emperor and his subjects against our Lord the King and his subjects, Casement had by traitorously contriving and intending to aid and assist the said enemies of our Lord the King, had traitorously uh, adhered to and aided and comforted the said enemies in parts beyond the seas without this realm of England, to wit, the Empire of Germany. And the overt acts of treason which were appended to that main charge um, uh, were various um, um, counts of uh, attempting to induce prisoners of war in Germany to what was described as to forsake their duty and allegiance to the king and to aid and assist his enemies. And curiously, one of the overt act actions was uh, the circulation of a leaflet among um, the, uh, the Irish prisoners uh, seeking their, uh, their um, um, recruitment to the brigade. But the leaflet contained the, fo the following sentence, the object of the Irish brigade shall be to fight solely the cause of Ireland and under no circumstance shall it be directed to any German end. And you could see in that that Casement was um, carefully positioning the Irish Brigade that he hoped to, to, to recruit as one which would never be deployed against uh, British soldiers or allied troops, um, uh, but was solely to be used for Irish purposes. But that wasn't um, the end of it, because Casement also, um, in order to um, provide a political basis for the establishment of the Irish Brigade. He um, decided that he would conclude a treaty 
um, with, the, uh, with the Germans. And um, the text of the treaty, uh, again, will be available after, after uh, today's proceedings. But one of the things it, it makes clear is that um, the Irish Brigade could be inserted into Ireland in the event of a German sea victory, but would always be under the command of Irish men. Uh, unfortunately for Casement, they also, and this turned, up to be, it turned out to be of some significance later, they also um, uh, had a contingency plan that if they couldn't get near Ireland, they would be willing to go to Egypt to liberate Egypt by taking on the Crown's forces there. Now, <clears throat> um, the evidence that was adduced at the trial which consisted largely of people who were present at the um, coming ashore of casement at Banner Strand, including young boys who saw him um, uh, uh, um, hiding in a fort there, McKenna's fort, um, and uh, civilians who uh, were there at the time that he was arrested and who uh, found uh, him attempting to tear up uh, code books and things like that. The evidence also included um, the evidence of recently released English prisoner, or, sorry, British Army prisoners of war of Irish extraction, who gave evidence of the recruiting efforts by casement in Germany in uh, 1915. And the, the Lord Chief Justice, in his summing up to the jury, directed them as to the meaning uh, of adhering to the, um, to the king's enemies. He said, that giving aid and comfort to the king's enemies included, included the act of any British subject which strengthened or tended to strengthen the enemies of the king in the conduct of the war against the king. He, he said that that included acts which weakened or tended to weaken the power of the king and of the country to resist or to attack the enemies, enemies of the king. And he encapsulated uh, um, the test in the following question. Were the acts done such as would strengthen the German emperor or such as would weaken his majesty the king? And he added, it does not need a very vivid imagination to see that if Germany could introduce arms and ammunition into Ireland for the purpose of helping to create a rebellion there or strife of a serious character so as to occupy the attention of the British executive and also to necessitate the maintaining of a considerable number of his majesty's soldiers in Ireland, that would be assisting uh, the, the, the enemy. Um, and he summarized the defense case as follows. He said, the defense says that Sir Roger Casement only asked persons, these soldiers, to become members of the Irish Brigade for the purpose of assisting to resist the Ulster volunteers after the war had concluded. The whole importance of this for the moment is whether it is right to say that that is the true effect of the evidence. The Crown says to you that that is not the true effect that every fact that you examine points to the contrary, and that what was intended was that at the first sea victory, Irish soldiers should be landed, uh, and that the Irish Brigade should then be introduced into Ireland. And the comment is naturally made, this is referring to F.E. Smith, the comment is naturally made that until there had been a sea victory of Germany, it would be impossible for Germany to land, at any rate, any considerable number of Irish soldiers. These are the two contentions. Now, as I said earlier, this treaty document that Casement had signed had set out the purposes of the Irish Brigade. And it did largely coincide with the Crown's claim that uh, 
these soldiers were, after the uh, uh, sea victory by Germany, uh, to be available to be injected into Ireland. Um, they didn't know at that stage, but they did find out later about the Egyptian um, uh, uh, fallback uh, mission of the Irish Brigade. Um, uh, when you lead, read the transcript, um, the overwhelming feeling is that the trial was conducted in a very courteous and civil manner. The judiciary were bending over backwards with the jury and in the eyes of uh, the international press to be seen to be scrupulously fair. And um, uh, those who have gathered the impression, as one would have done if you were brought up in, uh, in, in the time of my youth, that the whole thing was a show trial and that it was all deeply unfair and flawed, um, I think would have to think again. Um, the, the trial uh, um, was one which, um, in, the, in the last analysis, um, was conducted with scrupulous fairness for the case such as it was that was made for the defense. And I'll come back to the case that was made for the defense later. Um, now, much has been made of an argument advanced by the defense concerning the meaning and interpretation of the, uh, the um, act of uh, Edward III and the exact meaning of the, uh, of the clause uh, that the Crown was relying on. Um, the words of the statute, which was written in Norman French, were paraphrased by the Lord Chief Justice as follows. It shall be treason if a man levy war against our Lord the King in his realm, or be adherent to the King's enemies in his realm, giving to them aid and comfort in the realm or elsewhere. And the defense argument was that the words are elsewhere only governed the words giving aid and comfort uh, in the realm and had no application to being adherent to the king's enemies. In other words, it was a punctuation argument. Uh, as the offense uh, charged was uh, one of adherence to the king's enemies, if the words are elsewhere didn't apply to it, the offense of adherence, no offense was committed under the statute. And that argument was made to the court and understood by the court. And Mr. George Knott, the uh, author of the, of, the, of the 1917 account of the trial, in his uh, introduction to the trial, says this about Sergeant Sullivan's um, uh, um, contentions. As a matter of common sense, as an effective law, treason for the present day may, ap may appear uh, uh, to the re reader as not at all satisfactory. Um, but if the question is merely what is the grammatical meaning of the sentence in the act, he will, we consider, consider them very, we think, consider them very puzzling and agree that on the face of it, Sergeant Sullivan's rendering is possible or even probable. It presents a nice exercise in grammatical construction and one arrives at a very unflattering conclusion about the literary skills of the draftsmen of the Edwardian era. The ingenious renderings of the judges and Sergeant Sullivan may be read in the, in, in the arguments, where is also to be found the very uh, interesting antiquarian lore about the manuscripts of the old statutes. The language then of the statute of treasons must be uh, um, admitted to be ambiguously worded, and Sergeant Sullivan could not merely give his reading and leave it there without doing more to make his reading appear the more probable 
of two of, uh, or more possible uh, meanings. And Sullivan had said, you know, there's nothing wrong about, um, you might think on the face of it, that it would be a strange treason law that allowed you to do things outside the realm that you weren't allowed to do inside the realm. But he said, if you went back to the England of the 1350s and their dominions in France, um, and the alliances and, uh, and, uh, and, um, and, um, and events that took place, he said it was quite possible that uh, an Englishman might end up aiding and assisting somebody in France who was in France um, uh, 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 an enemy of the king. Uh, and that, uh, that uh, his argument was that in those circumstances, it had to be uh, read as having this territorial effect, um, which sounded a bit improbable. Now, the problem was, as, the, as, the, as uh, both F.E. Smith and the court uh, pointed out at, at, at great length, that all of the, uh, that this statute had been the subject of commentary and case law decision for the 500 years following its, uh, it, its enactment. And all of the major um, uh, English uh, law um, commentators, such as Coke and Hawkins and, uh, and others, had um, cited case law and, and argument to give it the meaning that the Crown contended for. And um, as Connor Geerty points out in his paper, there were very few precedents in the law report on the issue of construction, but he says, concerning uh, the defense argument, he says, but consider the result which such creativity would have produced. Excoriation by the British public for having contrived the acquittal of an admitted traitor on the most technical of technicalities. The case would have been uh, more interesting had these been the various hurdles over which their lordships had to jump in order to secure a conviction that the authorities and the people badly wanted. And Geerty pointed out that success for the defense argument would have required the judges to distinguish both case law authority and the unanimous views of legal scholars such as Coke, Hawkins, Hale, and Stevens. And he agreed with the view expressed in Owen Dudley's Edwards paper that uh, the legal principle involved in the act of Edward III had almost certainly been resolved correctly and against casement. Now, the argument that casement was uh, hanged upon a comma still excites legal interest today. But the decision of the trial court and the Court of Appeal on this issue does appear not to be unreasonable or contrived, having regard to um, authority, whatever about the infelicities of medieval draftsmanship. Indeed, quite apart from the wording of the Treason Act uh, on which the prosecution was based, um, the judges kept um, advancing the view that treason was in any event a common law offense and didn't need this statutory basis. Whatever effect that would have had on the um, particular indictment uh, was, not, was, was, was not so clear. Now, in short, um, while the uh, legal submissions put forward by the defense of the construction of the statute were strongly arguable on the basis of first principle, they flew in the face of case law, centuries of case law, and centuries of commentary to the contrary. And one would imagine that if the statute had the meaning for which Sergeant Sullivan ended, uh, ended up arguing, that it would have been uh, amended at some stage during the 500 years once uh, its inconvenient and somewhat arbitrary distinction between treason at home and treason abroad had come to mind. Now, the appeal was heard uh, in the Court of Appeal, I should say um, to you that um, the legal argument 
which Sullivan attempted to commence at the beginning as a plea in bar, was put back until the evidence was in. And therefore, um, the sequence of events was that the evidence was heard. Sullivan um, then made his submissions to the court. Uh, there were long and uh, detailed submissions to judiciary commenting on various different versions of the vellum rolls and uh, their condition and whether there was or was not the appearance of punctuation on them and the like. And eventually they, um, they, uh, they determined that, uh, um, that uh, the point being made by Sullivan was, was incorrect. And then the question arose, would there be any evidence? And no evidence was called. And so it, the trial proceeded from there to um, the, the uh, speeches by, um, the, uh, by, the, uh, by, by, by Sullivan to the jury and um, the uh, speeches by, uh, speech by uh, the Attorney General to the jury. It was during that speech um, to the jury that, uh, that Sullivan um, had his collapse. And um, it's difficult to understand precisely what caused it. It came shortly afterward, after an exchange with the judges where they were reminding him that he was now speculating on, on, on areas in, uh, in his submission to the jury which had no evidential basis. But between one thing and another, uh, he uh, suddenly and abruptly told the uh, um, three judges present at the trial that he, he had broken down and could not go on. And the case was adjourned until the following day. His junior counsel, Artemis Jones, who everybody should know, um, is the plaintiff in the famous uh, defamation case about, uh, about uh, um, unintended defamation, but um, was, was a very skillful counsel, took up the threads the next day and concluded his speech uh, to, uh, uh, to, to the jury. Now, I want to say a few words about the, the lawyers in the, uh, in, the, in the trial. Firstly, Gavin Duffy was the solicitor. And he was the son of Sir John Charles Gavin Duffy. He was, our most, uh, uh, he was a, a solicitor in a successful practice in London. And when he uh, agreed to act at the request of some of the uh, um, ladies who were friendly with, um, with, with, with Casement and had, uh, and had um, uh, worked with him in relation to his volunteer activities, including Alice Stopford Green, when he agreed to act as Casement's solicitor, he um, was faced with a, with a choice by his partners, either to return his instructions or to, um, to end his partnership. And to his credit, he decided he would stick by casement and, uh, and conduct both the um, defense and the appeal as his solicitor. He um, was later, he, had been, he was um, the son of Sir Charles Gavin Duffy, uh, an Irish nationalist who was a, an Australian uh, uh, provincial prime minister at one stage. And he, um, he also um, uh, had been educated in Stonyhurst in England and was quite anglicized. And uh, after this event, just to uh, finish him off, so to speak, he came back to Ireland, became engaged in the, in the national struggle for independence, um, uh, went to London with the uh, treaty delegation, uh, signed the treaty with F.E. Smith, uh, which is a curious thing, which broke up the United Kingdom uh, uh, six years or, or so, or five years 
after, the, after, after this trial, uh, and uh, became a foreign minister in the first free state government, but resigned on a point of principle over the way in which Republican uh, prisoners were being treated by that government. Now, he had major difficulty in obtaining counsel to, uh, to act, and um, he eventually uh, resorted to, uh, to um, seeking uh, to brief his brother-in-law, Sergeant Sullivan. And um, Sergeant Sullivan was an Irish sergeant at law. The uh, title had fallen into desuetude in, in Britain. It was a, an old office of, of the Irish legal system. And um, he was a cranky man. Um, and he was uh, somewhat headstrong. Um, but he agreed to, uh, to uh, act for, for um, uh, uh, casement. Um, there was bad blood between them almost from the beginning. Casement was described by Sullivan uh, privately as a megalomaniac. Um, after the dismissal of his appeal, Casement wrote to his old friend Richard Mortens, complaining that Sullivan had dropped some of his grounds of appeal with no notice to Casement. And he said, I wish I had stuck with my two Welsh men, Artemis Jones and J.H. Morgan, and had not brought in the other Sullivan at all. Artemis Jones, when he was finishing his speech to the jury, having picked up the uh, baton, so to speak, from the stricken, um, uh, stricken uh, Sergeant Sullivan, finished his um, speech to the jury in what you'd have to consider, I think now would be a somewhat downbeat way. He said, I'm not going to address any appeal to you based on sympathy or upon anything like an emotional plea in, in the way of mercy. The ancient and valiant race from which this man springs does not produce the type of man who shrinks from death for the sake of his country. The history of Ireland contains many melancholy and sad chapters, and not least sad is the chapter which tells and speaks so eloquently of so many mistaken sons of that unfortunate country who have gone to the scaffold, as they think, for the sake of their native land. I am not going to have any appeal to you upon emotions. If the Crown have made out their case, it is your duty as lawful citizens to return a verdict of guilty. But I claim this, that the law requires that the Crown should prove their case and prove it up to the hilt. And you must be sure, you must with sure judgment and clean consciences consider if you are satisfied upon that point. And if you do that, and if you approach the case in that spirit and apply that test to it, dark and heavy as the case may be as far as the defence is concerned, I do suggest to you there is a way open to you to return a verdict which would non be nonetheless just because it is humane. Morgan, the other junior counsel, uh, had been the man who had, uh, he was a scholar of medieval law. He had largely articulated and devised the technical defense about the wording of the, of the, um, of the, of the, of the statute. F.E. Smith, later Lord Birkenhead, was prosecuting as the Tory uh, at, um, Attorney General in Asquith's wartime coalition. And he was, of course, deeply, deeply compromised in the eyes of many people by the fact that between 1912 and 1914, he'd taken a leading role, along with Major Frank Hall, the interrogator, in the establishment of armed resistance to home rule on this island. Along with Carson and Craig, that movement had involved the creation of an armed force determined and pledged to resist home rule by force if necessary. 
It even in, uh, involved the creation of a provisional government in Ulster, which was a close parallel to what the signatories to the proclamation claimed to do a few months earlier in, in Dublin in 1916. And taking into account the massive importation of arms, for, uh, UVF arms from Germany on the SS Clyde Valley in early 1914, and the events described as the Curra Mutiny in which British officers were orchestrated to violate their duty to the Crown by refusing to act against the, uh, the UVF in Ulster. Smith was in many respects uh, one of the chief in, in instigators of all those actions, and he was hardly in the strongest moral position to credibly allege treason against Sir Roger Casement. But that didn't worry him. Smith himself was the subject of an explicit and telling attack in the course of Casement's speech before sentence. Comparing his own, Casement's own acts, actions to those of Smith, Casement said, the difference between us was that the Unionist champions chose a path they felt would lead to the woolsack, while I went a road I knew must lead to the dock. And the event proves that we were both right. The difference between us was that my, in inverted commas, treason was based on a ruthless sincerity that forced me to attempt in time and season to carry out in action what I said in word, whereas their treason lay in verbal incitements that they knew need never be made good. And so I am prouder here to stand in the traitor's dock to answer this impeachment than to fill the place of my right honorable accusers. Now, when he heard those words, Montgomery Hyde says, at this point, the Attorney General was observed to smile ironically and murmur in an audible aside, change places with him, nothing doing. And then, as if to show his contempt for the prisoner, he got up and ostentatiously slouched out of court with his hands in his pockets. So there was a great moment of high drama. Uh, and uh, Effie Smith, surely, and I, as a former Attorney General, I think on behalf of the Attorney General's Club, he let us down. <laughs> <laughs> now, I some of you may wonder why, if it was the truth that Casement came ashore at Bannerstrand, intent on stopping the rising. Why he didn't somehow communicate that, given that it was known to his interrogators, and given that uh, um, it was also known by this stage to all of his friends in London, why he did not say, look, the case against me is that I was trying to foment a rising. The truth is, I got off that submarine trying to stop it. Why was that case not made on his behalf? And it comes down to this, that Casement had decided that he had very little faith in Morgan's technical defense, and had decided that in the end, written advice which had been given to him by George Bernard Shaw to make this the mother and father of a, a piece of theater, an occasion where he stood proudly for what he believed in, and took the consequences was the preferable choice. And he believes that he would be letting down his compatriots in Dublin and the, 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 the families of those who had already been executed and the, the thousands who were already in prison if he said, by the way, I was all against this in the first place, in, in the terms in which his uh, German diary shows him uh, to have uh, been minded. So he decided, for his own good reason, 
that he would in fact change the whole course of, of, of his trial once this technical defense uh, failed and that he would give no evidence and uh, make an unsworn statement to the jury uh, correcting some of the errors in the evidence and await uh, his conviction and await um, uh, his opportunity when sentence was to be pronounced on him to, um, to uh, g give his point of view. And before I go to that speech uh, uh, once more, I just want to um, talk a, a little bit about the black diaries, the use that was made of them, um, and, uh, and the like. One of um, Casement's biographers, Seamus O'Shearcon, has, has written a magnificent book uh, about, uh, uh, about Casement. And he examines, I think, in a, a brilliant way, the case for and against forgery. And he comes to the conclusion that for many reasons, the, uh, the case for forgery simply does not stand up. That the British didn't have time to do it, they didn't have the opportunity to do it, and that the more obvious uh, um, uh, uh, explanation of the Black Diaries and the sexual, uh, the sexual adventures recorded therein was uh, that this had, in fact, been written by Casement. And um, I have, I'm not going to get involved now in, in, in this controversy, um, save to say this, that I have brought, and it will be available afterwards, a, um, a, an appendix from his book which deals with this issue. And I think that if any of you have doubts on the matter, or if any of you consider it's even worthwhile considering the matter, uh, you will be absolutely convinced uh, that, uh, that the uh, very elaborate arguments which were uh, contrived by people like uh, Dr. Herbert Mackey and others in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, uh, where they, they worked out exactly who had forged the, these diaries and the like, um, uh, the, the, why all of those arguments are wrong. Um, and one of the things that I would just put to you is the following, that an extraordinary incident took place when Sergeant Sullivan came to London to defend Casement. F. E. Smith, um, contacted them urgently, saying that the, um, he could inspect the diaries uh, in the Home Office at any time of day or night. And um, Sergeant Sullivan refused point blank to do it. Morgan, on the other hand, the junior counsel, was handed by F. E. Smith um, photocopies of, the, of relevant extracts, uh, with a view to him um, uh, handing, them, handing them to um, handing them to, uh, to, to, to Sergeant Sullivan. Uh, and the nominal purpose of this, if it wasn't just an effort to uh, deflate the defense and to uh, give them a, a soft tire going into court, was to um, open to them the possibility of making a plea of insanity. Uh, that's what Smith, uh, um, uh, uh, that was the excuse he gave for this. But it does strike me um, very much that if his stratagem had succeeded and, uh, and, um, and Sullivan had confronted um, Casement in prison with these diaries and asked him, what do you make of this? Or, um, uh, it is suggested that there's a plea of insanity available to you. But if they were forgeries, the very first thing that would have been said to Sullivan was, uh, these are, 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 are a crude forgery. Um, and that would have 
blown the prosecution case apart because Sullivan would have been able to stand up and say, these forgeries have been given to me by the Attorney General to read uh, in an attempt to get me to plead uh, insanity. And uh, when you think of the um, counterfactual, that if Sullivan had looked at them and had confronted Casement with their contents and had been assured and it had been demonstrated that they were crude forgeries, as is alleged, or clever forgeries, uh, as, as some would have it, um, it would have had the effect of blowing the prosecution to pieces because no lesser person than the Attorney General would be implicated in a crude effort to sabotage the defense of a knight of the realm. So um, that is yet another reason, and that's not one of the reasons that, uh, that, uh, that O'Shea Khan puts forward, but it strikes me, if you just think about it, it was so unlikely a thing to do if they had any inkling that these were ind indeed forgeries or any reason to believe that they were. And the whole time frame within which they were generated um, uh, simply doesn't allow of a clever forgeries. And you will see in the, in the appendix to O'Shea Khan's work that, the, um, that some, of the, some of the mistakes in the typescript reflect mistranscriptions mis, um, of Gaelic names and, uh, and, uh, and, and names of that kind, which if the typescripts were to be used for circulation, they'd have been, somebody would have been very anxious to ensure that they, that they were as close as possible to the original, and yet the carelessnesses slipped in in the typescripts which were circulated. But those, those um, uh, black diaries were not merely used uh, to uh, attempt to get Sergeant Sullivan to think of, take, uh, in, uh, of copying a plea of insanity. They were also um, uh, used to influence world journalists, and some of you may have uh, come across a book called uh, from, from the, the, the Earth a Cry by John Boyle Riley, one of the famous Fenians who went, who went to, 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 Moscow, uh, to, to, to Boston. One of his uh, daughters was a journalist, and she was brought in for a briefing uh, in the Home Office by British intelligence uh, to, to show these uh, uh, um, uh, diaries in photographic form well before the trial started. Uh, and um, uh, even the king himself was rumored to have read them and they were circulating in the clubs of London um, uh, well before, uh, well before uh, they were offered to Sergeant Sullivan. And just a footnote for junior counsel, when Morgan offered them to Sullivan, having been delivered them by F.E. Smith, uh, 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 Smith threatened to report him to the Bar Council for failing to deliver them on to Sullivan. And Sullivan had to tell uh, um, um, uh, his, his junior counsel that, um, that he would stand by him, that it was his decision not to read them and his decision to make no use of them. Now, um, of course now, uh, the world has moved on and the significance of uh, whether the Black Diaries were genuine or not means so little now in the light of uh, changing attitudes to homosexuality and uh, uh, changing religious uh, um, um, norms in our society. But um, clearly in the uh, post-independence Ireland, the suggestion that uh, 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 one of our great heroes was, was, was an active homosexual in the manner described in the diaries was, uh, was something which uh, excited a great willingness to believe the opposite 
and a great industry was put into attempting to disprove the authenticity of the diaries. Um, now what happens? In the 1950s, um, a journalist called René McCall writes a book about the Casement trial in which he says that the, tri that the, that the, um, that the uh, diaries are genuine and that uh, Casement was a homosexual as described in the diaries. And um, he cites, among others, as one of his sources, Sergeant Sullivan. And um, his book is reviewed in the Irish Times. And Herbert Mackey weighs in, saying, you know, this is outrageous. This is the usual old lie, perfidious album. We've heard it all before. And Sergeant Sullivan, who by this stage had um, he'd emigrated to England because he was threatened uh, for prosecuting people in the, in, the, in the War of Independence and had practiced very successfully in England, having been given silk there at a later stage. He comes, he comes into the fray from his house in uh, Greenmount Road in Terenure and writes to the Irish Times indicating that Casement at no point, though he had every opportunity, told him that the diaries were, uh, were forgeries, as one, as one would have expected since Casement knew about the fact that they were being circulated. Now what happens? Two barristers, Felix Sherry, and um, I'll get the other name in a second, decide to write to the, um, to the, to the Irish Times attacking um, Sergeant Sullivan for what they called a breach of, uh, of, of bar etiquette in that, they, that he was re revealing confidences of a client um, in a manner which was unprofessional. And worse than that, uh, Sullivan writes back defending himself, worse than that, a group of leading counsel in the law library um, though by no means all, sign a memorial to the benchers of King's Inns, seeking two things, that, uh, that uh, Sullivan be stripped of his honorary bencher status and that he be um, disbarred for breach of, of, of his professional duty, disgraceful professional conduct. And um, there is the uh, memorial signed by them, people such as Noel Hartnett uh, and various others, um, at the time, leading counsel at the time, Patrick Connolly, Thomas Doyle and others, all signed this document calling on King's Inns uh, to um, uh, effectively to expel uh, Sergeant Sullivan. Now Sergeant Sullivan, this is a bit of an irony because Sergeant Sullivan in 19, this is 1956 now when this starts, but in 1950 he was the man who managed to negotiate for King's Inns that the, uh, that the, um, that the casement picture the, the, the appeal picture will be brought to Dublin, and, he was, and it was unveiled by Sean T. O'Kelly. But that wasn't good enough for these gentlemen. They were so determined to, to, and so outraged that anything that would be said by a barrister would confirm uh, uh, um, uh, Casement's uh, sexual orientation, that um, they were determined to press on, and there were several benchers meeting, uh, minuted, where they uh, engaged in correspondence with Sullivan. In the end, Sullivan uh, wrote them a highly amusing letter, I have to say, uh, of a trenchant kind, and the man was trenchant. And his first point was that the Bar of Ireland ceased to exist in 1922, and that there were two separate bars. One, the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, this, the 26 County Bar, and the other, the Northern Ireland Bar. 
And um, that the benchers themselves were extremely dodgy as a legal proposition ever since that time. Um, he then uh, pointed out that when he had defended casement, he was a, a junior counsel uh, called to the bar in England at the Middle Temple. And he was, as the painting shows, not uh, given any seniority on account of his Irish rank, but, was, uh, but appeared as, uh, in junior counsel's bench. And he said that he would be judged by the uh, British uh, um, inns of court and their standards. And he said that he had in no way infringed um, his professional duties. He um, referred to the fact, and again, copies of this are available for those who are interested after the, after the lecture, uh, that there was a cult in Ireland which was devoted uh, to um, uh, denying the truth about casement, and that uh, he feared very much that the benchers were being in, in, in indoctrinated into this cult. And um, he uh, ended up by saying, um, he said, um, as, I've, I've, as I've pointed out, it was as a member of the Middle Temple that I defended casement, and that institution is the only one that can determine whether I was guilty of a breach of its rules. I shall send copies of the resolution, which was being put forward to the benchers, and of this letter and request, this was their request for a defense, to, uh, to you to forward the correspondence, etc., to the benchers of the Middle Temple for their consideration. In these dull times, they may enjoy a good laugh. <laughs> and um, a week later, he said, I fear that some passages in my letter a week ago may be offensive to the body of men for whom I've, uh, from whom I've received such kindness. I sincerely regret it and will revise the copies I sent, sent to the Middle, middle Temple. So um, the interesting point about all of that is that the absolute determination of uh, post-independence Ireland to deny um, uh, Casement's sexual orientation was, um, was uh, led the benchers, I think, to behave rather badly to this man uh, who had uh, in every way sought to, um, sought to assist them. Few portions of a speech. He said, we are told that if Irishmen go by the thousands to die, not for Ireland, but for Flanders, for Belgium, for a patch of sand on the deserts of Mesopotamia, or a rocky trench on the, uh, on the heights of Gallipoli, that they are winning self-government for Ireland. But if they dare, dare to lay down their lives on their native soil, if they dare to dream that freedom can be won only at home by men resolved to fight for it, they are traitors to their country but history is not so recorded in other lands. In Ireland alone in this 20th century is loyalty held to be a crime. If loyalty is something less than love and more than law, then we have had enough of such loyalty for Ireland or Irish men. If we are to be indicted as criminals, to be shot as murderers, to be imprisoned as convicts, because our offense is that we have loved Ireland more than we value our lives, then I know not what virtue resides in any offer of self-government held out to brave men on such terms. Self-government is our right, a thing born in us at birth, a thing no more to be doled out to us or withheld from us by another people than the right to life itself, than the right to feel the sun or to smell the flowers or to love our own kind. It is only from the convict these things are withheld, for crime committed and proven. 
And Ireland has wronged no man, has injured no land, that has sought no dominion over others. Ireland is treated today among the nations of the world as if she were a convicted criminal. If it be treason to fight against such an unnatural fate as this, then I am proud to be a rebel and shall cling to my rebellion with the last drop of my blood. If there be no right of rebellion against a state of things that no savage tribe would endure without resistance, then I am sure it is a better thing for men to fight and die without right than to live in such a state of right as this. When all your rights become only an accumulated wrong, when men must beg with bated breath for leave to subsist in their own lands, to think their own thoughts, to sing their own songs, or to garner the fruits of their own labors, and even while they beg to see things inexorably, with, inexorably withdrawn from them, then surely it is a braver, a saner, and a truer thing to be a rebel in act and deed against such circumstances than to tamely accept it as the natural lot of men. Those were noble words spoken by a man who knew he was going to the gallows. And the nobility of his words and actions is compounded and demonstrated by the fact that he did have options, such as revealing the truth about the real nature of his trip to Ireland, his real motives in landing at Bannerstrand, what he proposed to do, his sense that, uh, that the 1916 rising was something which should not happen and was doomed to failure. He had, he had the easier and more convenient way out. But he did give his life for his country, and his trial, such as it was, was converted by him, I believe, into a, a lasting monument to him. Some of you may be um, interested to see Lord Birkenhead's son's account of the trial uh, in his uh, somewhat laudatory biography of the father. And he um, derides Casement as standing in the dock with the, the, the pages of his speech shaking in his hands, not, not gathering, according to Birkenhead, the, um, the, the, not, not uh, receiving the attention or the sympathy of the court. But I think that the truth of the matter is that Casement was a real hero, and that the trial, such as it was, was not unfair, that the barristers who appeared for him, bearing in mind his own determination to, um, to uh, stand over his acts and to sweep aside in a, in a gesture of bravery all his own reservations about what had happened in Dublin a couple of years earlier, speaks to him as a great hero. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to Michael McDowell, Senior Counsel, deliver his lecture on the trial of Roger Casement as part of the Green Street Lecture Series in 2016. We hope you've enjoyed it. For more of these lectures, log on to lowlibrary.ie or wherever you get your podcasts.